0: We are in the midst of a series on the Gospel of Mark called Radical. On, on, however, on Communion Sundays, we are uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer as a way of just focusing in. I did this at Stan's behest back at the beginning of January. He says, man, we need to explore that deeper. And I said, okay, you know what? We're on. We're on. So we're on Communion Sundays, we're taking one stanza of the Lord's Prayer and uh, dealing with that and looking into that. So... Uh, Why the Lord's Prayer? Why is that even important to us as His people? Uh, Jesus made it clear. When the disciples watched Jesus pray and engage with His Father, that that raised up within them a curiosity, an intrigue, a desire that says, how can I relate to God the way You do? So he said to him, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus responded in Matthew 6, he says, this then is how you should pray. If you want to pray the way I pray, this then is how you should pray. But it's not a roach prayer, kind of like we have treated it many times in the past within the American church, where we sit back and we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, dot, 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 Amen. Um, It's not that at all. It's more of a way of engaging God in prayer as well as in life. That's the important thing. It's how we engage God in the overall context of life. It's how He wants to engage us in the overall context of life. N.T. Wright, I shared this last month, but I'll share it again because it encapsulates so well what is involved in this prayer and what Jesus does, the gift that He gives to us, this sacred place that He invites us into. When Jesus gave His disciples this prayer, He was giving them a part of His own breath. He was giving them a part of His own life. And he was inviting them, he was giving them a part of his own prayer, of his own breath, of his own prayer. That's amazing. He said, if you want to relate to the Father the way I relate to him, then this is how you do it. This is how you approach him, this is how you engage with him. Last month we looked at the stanza, Our Father who's in the heavens. And we learned that, and we saw how God is our Father. We celebrated that, that God is not just our Father, but He is our Abba Father, which is huge. It's profound. It shapes so much of how we are to relate to Him and how He has entered into our existence and our life and relates to us as our Father. This Sunday we are taken and Jesus kind of turns the coin over and he exposes another side to this when he said, hallowed be your name. God is our father, but we must never ever forget that our father is God. God. And there is a weightiness to that. Hallowed is a very old term that is not easily understood by us today. Translations will play with it to try to capture the essence of what this word encapsulates. And some do a better job than others. I like the way the New New English translation does it says our father in heaven may your name be honored may your name be honored honored by whom as we pray this prayer who is his name to be honored by by you And by me. As his disciples. This idea of honor. Is an exaltation. If there's a weightiness to it. But it compels me. If we understand it correctly. It compels me to engage in life. This gospel centered life. This disciple oriented life. To engage. To engage with life, in my communion with God, in my community with you, and in my vocation with others in how I live out this life, it compels me to this core commitment that says, may your, may your name, may your essence be honored by however I live my life, with whomever I live my life. Now, how do we do this? Honoring my Father as God, as God, begins with my thinker, my feeler, and my doer. It begins with how I think about God. It's just huge. See, we think about God As a little action figure. Kind of like this. I got this out of Nate's office today. The Jesus action figure. We're going to have a talk. Not really. I knew this was in there. He bought it as a joke. Because we treat God in this way. He's a little action figure that we put into our pockets and we carry around with us and occasionally we'll pull him out and we'll set him on the table and we'll play with him. We'll imagine and we'll fight dragons and we'll do things or whatever. We're not thinking rightly about God. A.W. Tozer writes this, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It reveals whether or not I view God as a little action figure or something far greater than that. If I'm not thinking about him correctly about here, up here, it's like the foundation of my life, of my Christian experience, is crumbling. And it affects everything else. Now, if I'm thinking rightly about God, something deeper is going to happen within me. And it's going to not just be intellectual... But it's going to penetrate a little deeper to my emotions. And it's going to affect how I feel about God. Now, what do I mean by this? When we understand correctly, I can't help but it can't help but change how I feel about Him. Three years ago, I Kim and I went to Gettysburg back east and we walked the battlefields where 163,000 men fought for three days and as we walked these battlefields we imagined we read the placards and we looked at the scene and we imagined what it would be like to be the Union soldiers on a little round top or the Union soldiers behind the wall, the brick wall, as the Confederate Army was breaching it. We imagined what it was like to be the Confederate Army who charged out from the tree line and ran across the field into a slaughter and a hail of bullets and cannon fire. And there was a deep respect for that ground a deep respect and then when you realize that fifty three thousand of those hundred and sixty eight thousand men fifty three thousand of them died in three short days that's a lot of carnage especially when you compare it to like the Vietnam War where 56,000 men died in six years. Can you imagine how deep the blood ran at Gettysburg? We walked the fields and we read the placards and we looked at the scenes and we saw the, the reproductions. And there was a deep, deep respect for what took place there. And then we walked into the cemetery. As you walk into the cemetery at Gettysburg, there's this little sign that says, silence and respect, please. And then you walk around the graves and you read the tombstones with the names of men who were born, who lived life as children, who grew up into teens, and many of them at that point went off to fight this war and to die as very young boys. And you think every name has a story. And there was a, not just a deep respect for what was in that cemetery, there was a weight, a weightiness to it, a deep honor. That went beyond, it included respect, but it went beyond respect and it affected, it affected us emotionally. We were there during the Boy Scout Jamboree 100th year, so there were, 50, there were about 46,000 other Boy Scouts around, along with families. And you know, the children didn't have to be policed they didn't have to be told, don't walk on the graves. Don't climb the trees. Don't play hide and seek behind the tombstones. Because they had spent their time up to that point learning about what had taken place on those battlefields. When you understand up here, correctly, it begins to affect you emotionally. And there is not just a respect, there is an emotional weight that settles upon one's soul when we think rightly about God. So when Jesus says, Our Father who is in the heavens, may your name be honored or hallowed be your name, it speaks to how we think about God and how we feel about what we think about God. But it doesn't stop there. It affects and it determines how I respond to God and the choices that I make and the priorities that I pursue. It makes a difference. If it doesn't make a difference, There's something about how I feel wrong with how I feel about God. And if there's something wrong about how I feel about God, there's something wrong about how I think about God. And if there's something wrong about how I think about God, there's something desperately wrong in my life. In Malachi, God, through the prophet, confronts the nation of Israel about this very thing. The whole book is about this. And at the very beginning God cries out to them through the prophet and he says this in Malachi 1, six: A son naturally honors his father. It's normal. It's expected. If a son is raised rightly, he understands who daddy is and he naturally respects him. And yeah, he's going to press the boundaries, but a Father who relates rightly to his son is going to enforce those boundaries. A son naturally honors his father. If he doesn't, something is wrong. And a slave respects his master. You know, guys don't like the father metaphor. Let's look at the master metaphor. If I am your father, God says. Where is my honor? Where is that weight? Where is it? Because you can't say that God is my Father and not honor my name. If you do, something's wrong with your thinker, your feeler, and your doer. He goes on to say, if I'm your master, where's my respect? I love this next phrase, don't miss it. If you're Facebooking, stop. Yeah, I know. (laughs) The Lord who rules over all. Can it get bigger than that? Is that God who is a little action figure? No. The Lord Yahweh, his personal name, as we talked about last year, you all remember that. The Lord Yahweh, who rules over all, asks you this question. Something is wrong with their thinker, their feeler, and their doer. In the words of the country song, their give a darn is busted. That's not the exact words, but (laughs) close enough. (laughs) It's busted. Why? Because they were, if you read the book of Malachi, they were all bound up with chains of apathy, mediocrity, laziness, self-pity, pride, arrogance, indifference. They had taken this God And they reduced him down to this. And this doesn't inspire anybody. He's got rollers on his bottom. So it looks like he's walking on water. Nate, we're talking about this. Well, I guess you did only pay one buck ninety nine at Goodwill. God is our father, and that is incredible. But our father is God. We need to understand this because parents get this in today's culture have this misguided belief that says I don't want to offend my children so therefore I'm going to give them what they want and they become their go-to buddies. And the children by the time they're teenagers look at their mom and dad and say that works for me with your resources and my desires. I'll let you be my go-to buddy, my concierge, my best friend. God will have none of that. Now we need to be taught, and that really is an inadequate term. The Hebrew idea for taught is to to learn so that you do something. If you don't do something, you haven't learned it. But we need to learn so it changes us in our thinker, our feeler, and our doer what it looks like to honor God. So when we pray, Our Father who is in the heavens, hallowed be thy name, or may your name be honored, we understand exactly what we're getting ourselves into, right? Because this is a big deal to God. Honoring God as our Father, or excuse me, honoring our Father as God, at least for Israel, began with an encounter with God. In Exodus 19, when God calls Egypt or calls Israel out of Egypt, He calls His people out of slavery, and He calls them to do what? Anybody remember? Go to Sinai and worship. He's calling them to a FaceTime, and this isn't one where music's going to be played. He calls him to a face-to-face encounter with him where he will introduce to to them himself and he'll provide a few helpful visual aids. So after walking for three months in the arid desert, they arrive and God says, take three days to prepare yourselves, prepare your person, your personal life, prepare your marital life, prepare your children. You've got something that's going to shake your world coming your way. So by the end of the second day, I'm sure the people were getting restless because on the third day, something was great was going to happen. The children were probably climbing the rocks and thinking, what are we going to do? And this is getting boring, mom and dad. Living in the desert, it gets boring. So suddenly, on the morning of the third day, they have an experience that will send an echo throughout generations. Generations. For 470 years, God has said that you have heard the stories of me. Now Israel, it is time to meet the Lord your God. And in verse 16 of Exodus 19, there was thunder and there was lightning. And before anybody knew what was going on, they looked up and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. It started in the distance is the idea and it come closer and closer and closer and closer until it was deafening in their ears. And everyone in the camp was really smart and they trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire deuteronomy 11 4 11 it says the whole mountain blazed with fire to the very heavens and smoke billowed up like smoke from a furnace and again in deuteronomy 4 it says that smoke was like a deep ominous blackness nothing could penetrate it you imagine that and the whole mountain trembled violently The earth was shaking beneath their feet and they struggled to stand because they were swaying like like trees in a hurricane. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder and louder. God shows up with a few visual aids. I like visual aids. I need more. Now what do these aids teach us real quickly? One is this that his holiness is terrifying or alarming. <laughs> he came in a way that they never ever expected. He shattered all the categories and that's exactly what holiness does. He is holy, holy, holy. And the reason the the angels or the beings and and that Isaiah 6 cry out holy, 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 in three times is because they can't say it enough as if they're saying this covers all of it. But it's still inadequate. He shatters all the categories. You can't put God in a box and he will not be reduced to an action figure. And you can tell if you've reduced him to an action figure by how you think about him and how you feel about him and how you Respond to Him. Tozer says this, We know nothing of divine holiness. It stands apart. It stands unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, unattainable, and whatever other unword you can put there. Natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and he may admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. Imagine. God showed up and they didn't know what to do. His holiness was alarming or terrifying and His presence was overpowering. The mountain, why was the mountain shrouded in deep, thick darkness? It didn't have to be. It's because they and we belong to a God who lives in unapproachable light unapproachable what's that mean just really brilliant no it means you can't you don't dare go near it because if you do you die whom no one has seen or can see first timothy six his power is absolute the whole mountain trembled violently We must remember that God is the maker of the heavens and the earth like like Malachi 1 says. He's the creator of the heavens and He's the shaker of the heavens. His power is absolute. His wisdom and ways are without comprehension. They thought that they knew God. They thought they did. They had been told the stories and but their God was an action figure and it was one among many in Egypt. Egypt had theirs. Israel had theirs. And everything was good. They thought they knew Him, but they didn't. That's why God gives them this experience. Now, God didn't have to do this. And the thing is, is that this doesn't necessarily draw us into worship, does it? It terrifies us. It makes us want to run away. But there's another aspect to this, and it's this. That his love is unconditional and unsurpassable. In Exodus 20, verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God. I, Yahweh, alone am your God, is the idea. Now, what's the point? The point is this. I have given myself to you. Get that. It's not that we have given ourselves to Him. He comes into our existence and He says, I have given myself to you. That's what He does. I have given myself to you. That's pretty amazing. I have given Myself to you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And He is saying, I have heard your cries for 470 years. I have kept My promises to free you from the bondage that I made to you 12 generations ago. And I am calling you now into the promised land. How cool is that? Now why all the drama? God could have done this without the shaking mountain and the thick darkness and all of this other stuff. Why did God incorporate all of these visual aids? It's because of this. In Exodus 20, the people were pretty afraid of God. And Moses said this, Do not fear. For God has not come in this way to test you, or for God has come in this way to test you. And the idea of the Hebrew is not to test you to see if you pass a test. The idea is to inspire you. To prove you, to inspire you, to call forth something, call you into something. That the fear of Him may be before you so that you will not sin so that you will not sin. So you will see that there's a whole other life for you that I'm calling you into. I want you to see who I am so that everything else will be eclipsed. I want you to be preoccupied with who I am. And that's a huge thing because... We're not preoccupied with who he is. We have an action figure. We don't have a God. You know, it's interesting that Paul says in Philippians 4, do not, if you're anxious for anything, pray. Or James says, if your heart is troubled, pray. And we think, well, I've prayed and I'm still anxious and I'm still troubled. You know why? Because my circumstances are bigger than my God. We're just like Peter. Call me, Lord. And he calls he steps out. I thank God Peter stepped out because I wouldn't have. But he took his name. Suddenly the circumstances became bigger than His Jesus. And he started going down. God may be our Father, but our Father is God. And honoring Him is a really, really, really big deal. But where do we go to get inspired? Where's my visual aids? Where's my visual aids? You know, Sinai can come into our lives in a hundred different ways. But honoring our Father as God compels something within me. When I think rightly about Him and I feel rightly about Him and therefore I'm going to do rightly about Him, When all of that is working together and I'm pursuing that or it does not work together and I choose to pursue that, it compels me to pursue God with persistence. Hebrews 11.6 says, if you want to please God, if you want to grab His attention, you must believe that He exists and that He is the rewarder of those who what? What? Earnestly, yes, diligently, with passion. Earnestly seeking. You don't give up. You don't get tired. Well, you may get tired, but you keep going. I want to share real quickly something that my son Wesley put on Facebook so I don't have to pay him 20 bucks this last week. My son is up at Whatcom Community College going to school, just kind of wrestling with what is he going to do with his life, you know, things that 21-year-olds think about. And, uh, and he's just been wrestling with that and it's, it scares him and all of this stuff. And he put all of this on this public billboard so I can share it. <laughs> but then he writes this, this last week. He had a Sinai experience. He said, have, I've been crying out to God for Him to show me a sign Or just something to hear from Him. You guys ever feel that way? I was frustrated with God and I felt like He was just being silent. For weeks He had been doing this. Then I heard this message and the message that he's referring to is a message by the pastor of the church where he goes, Christ the King in Bellingham by Pastor Grant. Excellent message. I want to post it on Facebook, but then I thought, well, I may want to steal this and preach it. (laughs) I am a wicked, wicked man. So I'm confessing my sins. But it's It's on fear and worry. I will post it for you. Then I heard this message and it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I realized that God will never let go. and He knows exactly what He is doing. While my life is not any more figured out than it was before, I have this indescribable peace that God is greater than anything I face. While I know while I knew this beforehand, how did he know it? I told him. All of his life, I told him. If you just listen to me. But I'm not God. And even though I try to mediate His presence, it's really a weak, weak presence. I'm more like the action figure. (laughs) It was just head knowledge. And it finally hit home. That God will always take care of me. And worrying will only do me harm. Oh, I wish I had that wisdom at 21 years old. Now why did this happen? Why did he have this Sinai experience? And I believe it's this. Because he had been crying out to God for weeks. And folks you want to have an encounter with God, you cry out to God for weeks. And it may take more. It may take months. And it may take years. But that's what it means when it says, diligently, earnestly, seek Me. God is not interested in weak-willed, apathetic people who claim His name but do not want to know Him rightly. That's That's what it's all about. And we shed the shackles of mediocrity and fear and self-pity. And we repent. And we say, God, forgive me. Release the shackles. And whether you release them right now or not, I am pursuing you with my shackles, with the belief that as I pursue you, then you will release me of them. Because God is my Father. My Father is God. Hallowed be your name, Father. Speak to us. As you pray, I want to encourage you just to bring before the Lord whatever those things are that shackle you. And I want you to just repent of them and say, Lord, I want to earnestly seek You. I want to think rightly about You. I want to feel rightly about You. And I want to do rightly with You. Just communicate that to Him. Because He is your Father and He wants to hear it and He is waiting. Father, blow our lives up where we think wrongly about You. Use whatever visual aids, use whatever circumstances you desire that we may think rightly about You. That we may feel rightly about you and that we may do rightly with you. For you are our Father, you are the ruler of the heavens and the earth. Father, destroy those action figure images that we carry around in our hearts that we may experience You.